Hi, this is Jim. Welcome to another episode of Kitchen Table Adulting. Uh, today, we have Drew Givens, an attorney with the Virginia Defenders. Hi, Drew. Hi, nice to be here. Thank you very much. Okay, so today we are talking about traffic stops and more specifically a DUI traffic stop. Uh, there's, a, there's a reason, well, there's a couple of reasons I wanted to cover this subject on an episode. First, my audience is young adults and young adults do dumb things. So this inevitably will come up. Um, but also uh, for, you know, DUIs are kind of a, a funny law to me because, and you can jump in here, Drew, if I'm wrong, sure. but if you steal something from a store, the moment you walk out the door, you know you committed the crime. But actually, the DUI limit is a little thing, varies a little bit with metabolism, what you had to eat, your body weight. And so yeah. you don't actually know, you certainly know if you've been drinking alcohol, but you don't necessarily know that you're over the limit. Right. So it's right. a little, little bit different. So with that, and I will reiterate this several times for my audience, there's no excuse for drinking and driving. Um, please use Uber. But th that being said, Drew, uh, where should we begin? Should we begin with uh, somebody who has had a couple of drinks and gets pulled over or? Um, sure. And, and yeah, like you said, the first, the first uh, piece of advice is don't, don't do it, obviously. Absolutely. It's a, uh, it can be, you know, obviously you can put yourself and somebody else in danger, but also it's just an extraordinarily expensive thing to go through. If you have a DUI, um, even if you ultimately win your case, there's a good chance, you know, you've spent, you know, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, more than that, depending on if you're hiring attorney or, you know, have a, have a public defender or, um, whatever the situation is. Sure. But, um, so yeah, there are a few things, uh, to start with, I guess. Um, and I guess part of my job when I'm, for instance, looking at a DUI case, you know, the, the first things that I'm always analyzing are, you know, is this a valid traffic stop to begin with? Because, um, you know, there are certain constitutional safeguards in place and you kind of look at those at each step as you're going through the DUI process. So I guess from my point of view, the first thing I'm looking at is, you know, is this a valid stop? And now, you know, they, there are so many traffic laws and they cover so much of our behavior when our, when we're driving that it's, um, it's very easy to violate a traffic law. That's what I'll, that, that's what I'll say to start with. Absolutely. Um, but I guess a first piece of advice, and this is just not necessarily you know, saying if you're driving drunk, what you shouldn't be doing, this is how you should be driving. But, um, you know, in, in DUI cases or in other cases where somebody's driving with something illegal in the car, let's say, and they know they've got something illegal in the car. Yep. It, it always blows my mind, um, you know, when those people will be driving, you know, 55 in a residential area or yeah. you know, running through stop signs or, you know, have an expired inspection sticker or something like that. And so the issue there is you've already given away your first constitutional protection um, and basically invited, you know, the police into your life a little bit, you know, yeah. because if there's, if there's a problem with your vehicle, if there's a problem with your driving, you've said, please stop me and check me out and see what's going on. Yeah. I, I know at least from watching cops, the, your taillight is out. I mean, that, that, yeah. that, that yeah. is a valid reason for an officer to stop you. It, it takes very little. And you know what I, you know, one of the things is just rolling through a stop sign. It, it's very difficult to come to a complete stop. I, you know, it's, 
and, and the way our, I've heard one of our judges say is, you know, he, when he pulls up to a stop sign, he always says STOP and then goes, but ah. nobody does that. <laughs> nobody, nobody comes to a complete stop. Um, sure. Unless perhaps somebody's over the limit and they know it and they're trying to be careful. But um, so that's sort of the, the, the first area there is, you know, is, is it a valid stop? Um, now, the second thing is how to, I, I think, speak to the police um, when they're investigating you. So they, you know, they stop you, maybe it's a taillight out or something like that. And they grow suspicious that something's, something illegal goes, is going on um, or that you've been drinking. Um, so I think the first thing there is you don't have to provide you know, testimony against yourself. I mean, that's the, the Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. Yes. Now, that can be tricky because, you know, some people, um, well, first of all, you know, most people don't assert that to begin with. Most people um, will start saying all sorts of things, thinking they can talk their way out of a situation like, uh, yeah. you know, I had one beer two hours ago or whatever they're investigating. You know, I'll give a little bit of information and then, you know, then he's going to leave me alone. Well, that's not the way it works, I think, typically in practice. You give them a little information and that gives them a little more reason to start investigating further and further and further. And, and the next thing you know, you know, you've landed yourself in a whole world of trouble. And okay. now when I say that you don't, you know, you don't have to, you know, you do have to provide basic information like your, obviously your um, driver's license, your name, um, you know, your social security number, things like that. Uh, oh, you do have to give your social I believe you 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 can be required to give your social, but that may only be if you don't have ID. Because okay. you know, if you don't have ID, then that's typically what they're going to look at is what's your social security number, so I can determine okay. if you have a license. Gotcha. Okay. Um, now, beyond that, when they start asking questions that are going to elicit you know incriminating information, you know, there is a way to both be, you know respectful and cooperative up to a point, but not, you know, provide evidence against yourself that's going to get you in worse trouble. And so I think the first thing is most people, you know, you've got a, you've got a guy standing there with a gun and a badge and, you know, lights on his car. And it's, I think, first of all, it's very difficult to say no to that person when in that situation. And I think for attorneys, um, it's very easy to say, you know, you, you keep your mouth shut and you tell them, you know, that, you know, Am I free to leave or not? Now that's, that can be very difficult for a lot of people to do in practice. Sure. Um, but then I also get people who are on the other end of the, of the spectrum and are just kind of um, aggressive and nasty throughout the whole encounter. You know, what I usually say is, you know, be assertive, but don't, don't be a jerk. Um, because I think also that can, that can trigger, you know, the police wanting to get more involved in your life if you're just over the top, kind of nasty and aggressive, you know, some people will, you know, pull out cameras and start videotaping. And I mean, you can do that. Now, that's rarely going to make the encounter go any better. Um, and typically, at least in traffic stops, they're going to be wearing, you know, body cameras anyway. So I would generally say if you're going to do that, I would not be holding, you know, a camera in the officer's face. Cause that's not going to, that's not going to go well either. Yeah. Um, but the, so I mean this much I know, and I think I got pulled over once in high school, you know, when, when you're asked, uh, you provide your proof of insurance, your driver's license, 
and uh, registration, right? Yeah, yeah, and they, they can yeah they can ask you for all that just to make sure that everything is is legit and you have a valid license and all of that. Okay, and then at the point at which they say, "Have you been drinking?" I mean, you're you're allowed to not you know provide further information. Now, okay. they may have enough without that. If if you know if if the car smells like a brewery and you know you know, what they're typically going to be looking at is, you know, can I, do I smell alcohol? Are your, and, you know, we, we look, we see, you know, a thousand police reports, you know, with the same language, you know, bloodshot eyes, slurring his words, smelled like alcohol. And so it's like the same things that they look for in every one of those cases. Okay. So, and, um, at that point, which tip, what typically happens is even if you say, no, I haven't had a drop or, you know, I'm not going to, I'd rather not answer any questions that are going to incriminate myself. They're probably going to get you out of the car at that point, if they suspect that you're driving under the influence and that's where they're going to start their more full investigation. Now, if they ask you to get out of the car, you got to get out of the car. Okay. And, there, and there's, there's case law on that, that for officer safety, even just for a regular traffic stop, you know, even if they don't suspect you're driving under the influence, um, they're still allowed to get you out of the vehicle. And so, again, you have to kind of know what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do, and how to how to assert your rights without being a jerk and potentially making the situation worse. Um, now, with DUIs, what typically happens there is they try to run you through field sobriety tests at that point. And so there are and you can tell me if this is more information on the subject than you need or not, but there, oh. there, there are only three tests that have um, any, you know, verified scientific validity, you know, that there are actual, actually studies on where it shows that, you know, somebody who doesn't perform this test well, you know, there's a blank percent chance this person is over the 0.08 limit. And that's, you know, the first one's called the horizontal gaze nystagmus. And that's where they, they take the pin or some, some other device and they move it like this. And then they hold it out here. And essentially what they're looking for, it's called nystagmus and it's a jerking of your eyes. And if your okay. eyes, you know, jerk while you're trying to look at something, that can be an indicator that you're under the influence. Um, the second one is called the one leg stand. And that's where you stand on one leg, lift your other leg up about six inches off the ground. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure I can do that under any circumstances. <laughs> no, some of, some of these are tough. And you know, the, it's the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration that puts out the regulations on these. And, you know, there, there are a million regulations on how they're supposed to perform these tests to begin with. And, you know, if you have, there are specific rules about, you know, if you're somebody with back problems or knee problems or, um, you know, the, the lighting conditions, the road surface, what it's supposed to be like, you know, shoes, glasses, and all of that. And, you know, a lot of times they just, the police aren't paying any attention to any of that other stuff, you know, and even with this test, you know, there, it's very specific. It only has validity if it's done a certain way, you know, it's supposed to be two seconds here, two seconds back. Yeah. And just for the, the audience, for the audience, since we're doing audio only, that's the pen test you've probably seen on cops. <laughs> yeah. I'm holding the pen in front of my face and they move yeah. it to one side and you're trying to follow it with your eyes and then to the other. And sometimes they're not, you know, they're just kind of waving it back and forth. It doesn't look like they're actually doing much of anything that, you know, could show anything about whether you've been drinking or not. But then um, the final test is the walk and turn. And that's where they have you walk, you know, walk a straight line, usually nine steps out, turn and walk back. And yeah. so 
first of all, those are the only three with any real scientific validity behind them. You know, the other tests you may see like touching your fingertip to your nose or, you know, your, they'll have people do their ABCs, like start at R and go to X, you know, or something like that. You know, they, they may as well have you just hopping on one foot or doing jumping jacks or, you know, breakdancing because because those are just things that they've just come up with that don't have any research to suggest that it actually shows you might be under the influence if you can't do any of those. Okay, but if you are stopped and the officer says, I want you to do the alphabet backwards from R to D, what do you do? No, thanks. Um, and that, yeah, and that's what I was going to get to next is on the field sobriety test. And I probably should have started with that before I went through them. You can say no, thank you to those. Um, now, you know, in some of our cases, the police make it very difficult to say no, because sometimes they will make it sound like you don't have much of a choice. Like you're going to do these for me, right? Or, you know, let's go ahead and do some field sobriety tests rather than, you know, will you agree to do some, some field sobriety tests? You can say no, thank you to all those. And that's what I would recommend because it's rarely going to help you. And as you said, you can be stone cold sober and still mess up on some of those. So, so the pen test standing on one leg and walking the line, you can decline. You can decline. It's just, if you agree to do those, you know, those can certainly can and will be used in court and they do have scientific validity, you know, to show that if you, um, you know, if you don't have some sort of pre-existing health problem that would make them difficult, then, you know, if you fail them, that does tend to show that, you know, that, that there's a good chance that you're over the legal limit. Okay. But you can decline all of those. And again, you don't want to be a jerk about it. Just no, thank you. I'm not interested in doing field sobriety tests. Like what, you know, what's your next question? That's how I, you know. Um, now, the other thing is they have something called um, a PBT, which is short for preliminary breath test. And that is a handheld device, which is kind of a handheld breathalyzer that the, um, you know, most police will have in their patrol cars. And they will offer you this typically at some point in the DUI stop. Um, usually whether they think it's alcohol related or drug related, because if, you know, if they suspect drug related, I think they're still usually going to offer you that um, just to rule out alcohol, but you don't have to do that one either. You have no obligation under Virginia law to do the one on the scene. In other words, you know, during the traffic stop when you're there with your car. The only thing under Virginia law that you're required to do is the breathalyzer at the police station. Because, and I, and I think that's in part because the, the handheld devices don't have the same level of accuracy yeah. as, the, as the much larger machines they have at the police station. And the issue again is that sometimes the police are not clear about what they're asking you to do. And sometimes if, you know, sometimes if you're not wanting to do the one on the scene, they'll make it sound like you don't want to do any, like, okay, so you're refusing everything then, huh? Uh -huh. And so, you know, in that situation, I would make it clear that, no, I'm just refusing to do this one. You know, if you want me to do the one at the station, I'll do that. Um, and the issues with, I think it's accuracy also mean that the, the handheld device that they offer you on the scene is also not typically admissible um, as evidence against you unless your turn, your attorney is challenging probable cause to arrest. And then it, then they can say, well, he blew, you know, a 0 0.10 on the preliminary breath test, but oh. it may get a little complicated there. You can have something that's admissible just for probable cause to arrest, 
but not admissible as um, substantive evidence of your guilt. Okay. Well, and, and it, so, and I only have, like I said, all of my knowledge comes from watching cops, but I, I actually thought that the, the three field sobriety tests had to be done and you had to fail one to give probable cause to do the field breathalyzer. But I guess that's not the case. No, 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 that's, that's not the case. They can, they can ask you to do that one right off the bat. And, um, and this is kind of part of a larger point about this stuff is, um, if you, you have these constitutional protections and I look at it as, you know, the constitutional protections like the fourth amendment right against, um, unreasonable searches and seizures, you know, the fifth amendment right against self-incrimination. Yeah. I see these protections as kind of being like this a, a door, you know, between you and the government in a way, you know, the issue is they will ask you to consent to some things. In other words, and, and the issue there is when you consent to one of these things, typically you're just opening that door wide open. And yeah. so for instance, you know, do you mind doing some field sobriety tests and you say yes and you do them? Well, you've just agreed, you know, to waive any right you might have to not do those tests or the same way if they start questioning you about your alcohol consumption or whether you've, you know, committed a crime or anything like that and you start talking to them again, you've kind of thrown that door wide open rather than relying on any of the constitutional protections that you might have. Okay. So. so if, uh, so if you decline the, the three field sobriety tests and then you decline the field breathalyzer at that point, are you definitely going to be arrested? So what the, well, see, that's, that's the issue there because it depends on what else they have. And so the thing is, you know, when you do each one of those tests, you give them a little bit more, you know, when they're kind of trying to fill up their little probable cause cup or however, whatever metaphor you want to use, okay. each one of those, you know, helps them fill that up a little bit more. And so the issue there is, you know, if you've declined all of those tests, then you kind of put the burden on the officer to think, okay, do I really have enough to arrest now? You know, we don't have field sobriety tests. We don't have this. We don't have that. Now, you know, probable cause is a low standard, I will say. So it doesn't take a lot. And, you know, in Virginia, there's case law, even that to be convicted of DUI, they only have to prove that you're observably under the influence, you know, so they can, they can prove that you're guilty of DUI without, without all of these other things. Um, but typically it's going to be a much harder case for them if they don't have all that other stuff. Okay. So, so at that point, the officer has to make a decision either and I, honestly, I, I can't imagine if you invoke your right to remain silent and don't answer any questions, I have a hard time imagining you're driving home. That you may not, in, the, in these scenarios, what, I, what I'm typically thinking is you're probably not driving home either way, you know, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really more what you're doing is giving, you know, giving uh, the Commonwealth less evidence to convict you at trial is the way I'm, I'm looking at this. Now, okay if that makes sense. But, but then at, at that point, if the officer said, well, I mean, if you've declined everything and invoked your right not to answer questions, what are you actually being arrested for? Well, in that case, what the officer would have to decide is, you know, is the, am I smelling alcohol? Is this, is his, is he slurring his words badly enough? Are his eyes glazed over all these other things is, you know, is he kind of swaying when he's standing there when I get him out of the car? Um, and again, you know, probable cause is a low standard. So the officer, even without all the other stuff, you know, if he's, if he's 
thought it worth getting you out of the car to try to do the field sobriety test, then yeah, there's a good chance. And in his mind, he thinks he's already got probable cause to arrest you anyway. Okay. But you know, you don't, you don't give the Commonwealth all those other pieces of evidence to use against you at trial. So at that point, you'd be declining everything and then presumably arrested under suspicion of DUI. Correct. Okay. And, and then once you're arrested, there is something called uh, the Im implied consent. And that basically means that, you know, by, you know, enjoying the privilege of driving on, driving on the streets of the Commonwealth, you agree that if you were, you know, validly arrested, and it's got to be a valid arrest um, for DUI, um, that you're consenting to give a sample of your blood or breath. And so that's the one that you have to do at the police station. And um, if you don't do that one at the police station, then there are consequences. Okay. Now for, first, for first offense, it's going to be um, for refusing the breath test. It's going to be a year of loss of license. Now, I guess there are some people now it does get complicated here because if you get convicted of the DUI, you also lose your license for a year. However, you can get a restricted license. If it's suspended because you refuse to do the breathalyzer test, you can't get the restricted license. And so just kind of make it so that, you know, the, the incentive is actually to get the DUI at that point. I mean, that's it. A, could it, be. it depends on how important driving is to you. Yeah. And just, just for the audience, especially young, young people that don't understand this, the restricted license would, for example, allow you to go to and from work so you don't lose your job. But right. in right. a very specific. Uh, yeah, very specific places. And if you're, you know, if you're caught driving outside those limitations, you know, you can go to jail and um, get in all sorts of further trouble. So, yeah. Okay. So... And, and is it always a breathalyzer at the police station or do they also do the blood test or? They also do blood tests. And usually that depends on what they suspect that you're using. You know, okay. for instance, if they, um, when talking to you and observing you, if they think that, you know, you're clearly the under, under the influence of something, but you know, you don't smell like alcohol um, or you were to, you know, give a sample from the handheld device on the scene and it comes up, you know, a zero zero for alcohol then they're going to suspect that you're, that you're using something else. And that's when um, they would get a blood test. And so for a blood test, they would typically either, what they do most of the time now is they get a search warrant because there's been some complicated case law on, you know, what sort of penalties they can invoke against you for refusing to give a sample of your blood. So typically now if they suspect that it's a, what we call a DUID, DUI drug, then they're going to get a search warrant for your blood and then they take you to the police or to the, to the hospital and have somebody draw your blood there. Okay. All right. And how quickly does that get analyzed? Do they know the results fairly soon? That usually takes a while. It's gotten faster. I remember, you know, a few years ago, the, the lab, the state labs were already, were always so backlogged that it might take six months. And so if it's a, if it's a DUI drug case, your case is getting, you know, moved and moved and moved until they get those, um, blood results back. Now, it seems like they've speeded things up a little bit. Okay. And that may be COVID related because, you know, they're just for, a, you know, I don't know, four or five months or so, they were just charging uh, fewer people, I think, to keep the jails as, as open and clear as possible. Yeah. So there weren't as many cases um, for a lot of different things. So is it, I'm trying to sum this up for the audience, as I understand it now, 
if you have been drinking and you decline everything at the scene, there's a pretty good chance you'll be arrested and then you can't decline the breathalyzer at the station. So you're, if you're over the limit, you're going to get caught. There's a good chance that if you are over the limit, you are going to get caught. And so, you know, we, you know, there are a lot of rules to follow. And even if you follow them, yeah, there's a good chance you're still going to get caught as long as the offer, the officer has, you know, stopped you for a valid reason, as long as he's got probable cause to arrest you. Okay. And all that. Now, I, what if, what if you were in a situation where you had, I know, I know everyone always tells the officer, I only had two beers. That's like the big joke on cops. But what if you legitimately had one beer an hour ago and said, Hey, can we just go straight to the field breathalyzer? Cause I'm sure it'll be 0.03 or something. And then I can be on my way. You can do that. If you're that, if you're that confident, I suppose. Um, Cause I also, and of course I'm talking about something I heard of in Tennessee, not Virginia, but I was told once of somebody who blew a 0.06 and the officer arrested him anyway. Um, and they can. And, and, you know, in Virginia, um, the way it works is so a 0.08 is a per, what they call it a per se level. And that means, you know, you're, even if you're acting just fine and you don't seem to be impaired, if your blood alcohol content is above a 0.08, you're still guilty you're going to be found guilty of DUI. Um, now, a 0.05 to a 0.08, there is no um, presumption either way about whether you are under the influence or not. And so what that means is if you're like a 0.07 or 0.06 or a 0.05, then they can't just use that blood alcohol concentration to show that you're guilty. They've got to pair that with other things like your behavior, you know, was your driving erratic or weird or something like that. And then I believe it's, you know, we don't get these, they don't charge many that are below 0.08. So we don't get a lot of these. And then I think it's a 0.03 or below, or maybe, or below 0.05, perhaps it's presumed that you're not under the influence. Now, you know, I guess technically you could be acting so intoxicated that perhaps you could be convicted, you know, on a 0.03, but I've never seen that case. Yeah. So I guess that that's a long-winded way of saying if you're that confident about your blood alcohol concentration, then sure, you could do that, I guess. But, you know, in a lot of the cases that we get, people seem pretty confident and then they blow a, you know, 0.20 or something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, the, 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 my just general experience in drinking is drunk people have lots of confidence. So it's true. And it's, it's a lot easier to get over that limit than, than you'd think. And well, and that's, again, one of the one of the things that I'm trying to warn a young audience here, and they're all going to do it anyway, but, you know, you, you, I've seen, I, this goes back to high school health class, but they give you some height weight chart and say, you know, based on your body weight, you can have one beer an hour. And of course, you got to remember that's a 12 ounce can of beer, not a pitcher of beer. And you have to do that math. But even then, you know, what you had to eat and your metabolism can affect that. So... Yeah. And if you're, you know, drinking fancy craft beer, that's, you know, you know, 10% alcohol concentration, that's going to be a lot different than drinking a Miller Lite. And, and so, yeah, I don't want to sound like I'm trying to give a bunch of rules to get away with, you know, driving while intoxicated because you're going to get caught most of the time. Well, and I'm now under the impression that there's no way to get out of it anyway. So, I mean, you know, we, we will have cases where there, there is no blood alcohol certificate and, you know, when you watch the video, somebody just 
doesn't, you know, we have, I have had cases where people do seem to be stone cold sober as far as their behavior, you know, and then really all the officer has as well, they smelled like alcohol or this and that. And so those cases can be, can be winnable, but yeah, you are taking a risk when you decide to give a sample because I don't know anybody that's great at judging exactly where they would be. And I, um, I know we've, I've heard of different conferences, legal conferences where they'll have, you know, breathalyzer machines just to let the attorneys, you know, drink and see, you know, see how easy it is to get over the limit. So. Yeah. And I do know some people have, you know, for gone on Amazon and bought a little pocket breathalyzer, but I don't, I don't know how accurate those are. And I, I think what's that? I've never tried those. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, and I actually, I actually have tried one um, at home in the comfort of my living room before. But I, it makes me wonder, like, well, is this nineteen dollar device from Amazon properly <laughs> calibrated to what the police officer might have? And um, and I think that if your social life is such that you would consider keeping a breathalyzer in the car, you probably need to rethink your drinking and driving. Yeah, you're, ma- you're making some bad choices already if you've got to keep a breath breathalyzer on hand. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, but what about just in general with, even if it's just a traffic stop and you're not drinking, but the officer starts in with questions like, so where are you from? Where are you going? You know, what are you doing here? Again, that's a tough call because, you know, some of that stuff they can use to build something if, you know, cause you may have a situation where they're, they've got break-ins in this neighborhood or something. And, you know, the questions may seem like kind of standard, you know, questions that a police officer may ask, and then it ends up with you being, you know, detained and searched or something like that. You know, I, I, I would tend to, I would probably politely decline those questions if I, if I could. Yeah. Um, but that may be a little bit of a more, you know, libertarian streak in me on, on stuff like this. Well, you know, and I also, you know, as a as a forty five year old white man, I feel far more empowered to say I know my rights. I'm not answering that question than perhaps a nineteen year old, especially some of, of a minority group, might sure. feel yeah. far more intimidated. So it it is one of those sort of textbook things. Like everybody can assert their right, but when you actually do it, you might be very very uncomfortable. No, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Um, and I, I do remember there was actually, I used to live in Nashville, Tennessee, and there was a class offered by police about police work, a civilian thing. And I did that. And I distinctly remember an officer saying, you will never talk your way out of being arrested. So the, you know, like, let me just tell you everything that's going on. Or t- I mean, basically he said, if you're going to get arrested that night, you're getting arrested. So yeah. And I, I, that stood out to me because I think a lot of people think that they can talk their way out of the situation. Right. Yeah. Now, you know, with me personally, I guess if, I, if I'm, you know, if I'm being pulled over and I know that I have absolutely nothing illegal in the car, mm-hmm. you know, then, yeah, I, I will probably answer some of those questions. And, and even for me, it's a little bit hard to not answer some of those, you know, until it starts to seem like he's really pushing to either search my car or do something like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, part of it is just seemingly being friendly, but then there's, 
you know, a point at which you're like, Hey, why, why are you asking me this? And yeah. And I think you're right. The, the people that are, um, people that are younger, um, or maybe yeah, not, not white, um, or people who suffer from a lack of education, perhaps, you know, don't, yeah, don't know that they can say no always, or at least don't feel comfortable saying no. And, um, you know, the police are going to go at you harder if they think there's something illegal going on, you know, and they can make it very difficult to say no. Yeah. And I, I actually wondered if, like, uh, I want to ask a police officer someday or former police officer, but do people look more guilty to them when they invoke their right, their right not to answer questions? I think probably sometimes. <laughs> I mean, that would, uh, you know, not, I'm not talking about legal, but if somebody says, I don't want to talk about that, I mean, I would think, well, then there's obviously something to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, that may be right too. And so I think a lot of these situations are damned if you do and damned if you don't. And I think it's true that, you know, if, if they want to arrest you, they're probably going to find a way to do that. There's a good gotcha. chance. So we but come some, back, we, we're coming full circle back to do not drink and drive use uber okay absolutely it, it is a it is a costly process and that's assuming that you don't you know hurt somebody else or hurt yourself it's an extremely costly process and you have to imagine first of all you have to if you want to get the restricted license so first of all you you know you're going to lose your license your license is suspended and then you petition the court for a restricted license and then you have to decide whether you either want to you know walk to work for a year or pay to have what's called the um, ignition interlock device installed on your car. And that's what you have to do now in order to get that restricted license you, is you have to pay to have this device installed on your car so that every time you drive it, you blow into something and basically, you know, submit a breath sample. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I have heard of that from somebody I know. Okay. So yeah. We're talking about, you know, not being able to drive or having to do a breathalyzer every time you get in the car plus thousands of dollars yeah between your insurance rates going up legal sure. fees the whole thing it's when you total it up at you know if it's five thousand dollars and the pain of doing a dui versus 15 bucks on uber you know yeah. it's, it's a no-brainer obviously you know young people think they're bulletproof and they do dumb things um and actually so you are a public defender defending people who when they say, if you cannot afford an attorney, one will be appointed to you. Is that where you come in? It is. So the, the, the really brief version is, you know, the Sixth Amendment guarantees right to counsel in, in criminal cases. And the way it works is, you know, the case law has um, sort of articulated that further. So what it means is if, if you're charged with a crime and there's the possibility of incarceration, then if you can't afford an attorney, the government has to supply one for you. Okay. So yeah. So that's where public defenders come in. All right. Well, we have, uh, this has been a great conversation. I've learned a few things that I didn't know. Again, you know, all I do is watch cops. Um, great. So I appreciate your answers on that. Now I do, I definitely want to do a, a, some other attorney episodes. So maybe I can get you back sometime, but I do end all of my shows by asking my guests the same question, keeping in mind that my shows for all things in adult life, what is one aspect of life as an adult that you wish you had figured out before you were 25? Um, that was a tough one. Cause you, yeah, you kind of told me that that would be coming and that, you know, there were a couple of different things I had thought of. One, one thing I thought of is um, find out what, 
what you were good at and what you enjoyed doing. You know, I, I think I, I went to law school pretty late in life compared to most people. And I think, you know, a lot of times when you're, when you're younger, you're sort of just bouncing from one thing to, to the next. And that's, I think, sort of human nature because you're finding out what you want to do and what you want to be. Um, but I think sometimes younger people may approach it with this, just an idea in their head of, I want to be this or I want to do that. But it may not have any connection to, you know, something that you're actually good at or something you really enjoy doing. Like, you know, I want to be an astronaut, but I'm terrible at math and claustrophobic or what, you know. Yeah. And so I think it's, you know, what do I enjoy doing? And for me, I enjoy arguing with people. And so, okay. <laughs> and sometimes I end up taking ridiculous positions on things I don't actually care about just because I've dug in and I'm arguing. And afterwards I realize I don't care about it. And I don't even have, that's not even my opinion. Gotcha. And so, you know, kind of law school ultimately made, made sense for me. Okay. And, and I, I will share with the audience that I'm 45 and I don't have a clue what I want to do. So <laughs> That's okay. Every avenue I've tried thus far has come up short. So <laughs> that's okay. All right, Drew, I really appreciate your time. And again, uh, if we can coordinate, I'd love to have you back sometime to do another episode. Sure. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I hope, I hope this was useful. Excellent. That concludes today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any follow-up questions, you can email me at askjimkta at gmail.com, or for more information, check out kitchentableadulting.com.